0: Welcome to the Diocesan Digest, your favorite source for current stories and information about what's going on in the Episcopal Diocese of Oklahoma. Today's episode features the Very Reverend Katie Churchwell, the new Dean at St. Paul's Cathedral in Oklahoma City. I sat down with Dean Katie and did a get to know you session with the bright, kind, and very energetic new Dean. We chatted about her upbringing in Arizona, her call to the priesthood, and all things ministry, from pop-up prayer to St. Paul's. I look forward to sharing this episode with y'all, so let's get right into it. Here is the very Reverend Katie Churchwell. Okay, Dean Churchwell, thank you so much for joining me on the Diocesan Digest podcast today.
1: My pleasure. The
0: the world's ready to know you in Oklahoma, so I thought it'd be fun to do a little get to know the new dean, because we haven't had a dean in a while.
1: I said, let's do it. Yeah, let's
0: do it. Yeah. So let's get into just your background. Where are you from? Why did you want to be a priest? You know, like basic things.
1: Sure. So I was born in Wyoming and lived there for such a short amount of time that I don't remember it at all. And pretty quickly my family moved to Arizona and that's really where I grew up. So I consider myself a a child of the desert. And I think by far, of all of the different sort of ecosystems that I've lived in, all of the different regions, the desert, I think is my favorite. But in all fairness to Oklahoma, I have not been in the plains long enough to rule out the plains being my favorite. So we'll see. But I grew up in Arizona, just west of Phoenix, and grew up out in the middle of nowhere. So we had Uh, acreage and we had sheep and ducks and chickens. My dad was a like a 4-H guy and my my grandfather was an ag teacher. And so my dad had this idea that uh, I have two older sisters, that all three of us needed to have these 4-H projects that really turned into 4-H projects for him. Um, But, you know, instead of dog sitting, I would cow sit for my neighbors when they'd go on vacation. And sort of grew up in this kind of like wild, carefree kind of way, because we'd romp around in fields and swim in irrigation ditches, you know, things that I look back on now as an adult. And I think, gosh, why did my parents let me do that? That was really dangerous.
0: Okay. But this has prepared Um, you for Oklahoma culture, right? (laughs) Like now, like you can relate to the people here because that's how a lot of us grew up.
1: Yeah. So just, I mean it was fun it was really fun and spent so much time outside as a kid and had this sort of just wild kind of carefree existence um and and then where i lived in arizona would it quickly you know sort of got wrapped up in the housing boom in the early 2000s and it sort of exploded population wise so now All of the fields that I used to play in are spring training facilities for baseball teams, which is pretty great. Uh, Not that I make it up to Arizona often, but, you know, I'm a big baseball fan. So, but yeah, so that is where I grew up. And then I did my undergraduate in Portland, Oregon at Lewis and Clark College. And so got to experience the Pacific Northwest, which is so beautiful and so lush and, where I very quickly learned that seasonal affective disorder is a real thing, and learned that I really need a lot of sunshine in my life to be not just happy, but to be a functioning human being who can do things like stay awake. Uh, so it was a wonderful, fantastic, formative four years of my life, but. Alas, we'll never be able to reside in the Pacific Northwest for any long period of time. Uh, we, we're just not compatible. Um. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's how I felt like living in South Bend. I, I lived in South Bend for eight years, and they had like signs on campus about seasonal depression because yeah. a perma cloud for like six months up there. It's horrible.
1: Yeah, it's not the rain, you know, and it's not that it was cold, but it was just that it was no perpetually overcast. There was just no sunshine.
0: Study in undergrad.
1: So I was a religious studies major and a few credits shy of having a dance minor. So what my dad would call two very useless degrees. What? <laughs> not <laughs> I, he didn't priest, that yeah, well, he didn't know then that I was going to be a priest, you know.
0: Did you grow up um, in the Episcopal church? Were your parents?
1: Yeah. So I'm a, a cradle Episcopalian. Okay. Um, and so, but that was really a lot of my mom's driving. And so same thing for sort of my call to the priesthood was driven a lot by my mom. And so at the time when I was doing my undergraduate, it was just what was interesting to me. So honestly, the majority of classes that I took in my undergraduate had nothing to nothing to do with Christianity in, in really sort of explicit ways. So took a lot of classes on Buddhism and on the Islamic tradition. So Sufism and, and things like that, did a really big, uh, one of my like final classes that I took my senior year of college was on the church of latter day saints lots of classes on the old testament sort of hebrew not old testament lots of classes on on Judaism which we would call the old testament or or hebrew scriptures which it was very fascinating to me to go from a humanities you know very secular understanding of religion in my undergraduate to then go to seminary and look at a lot of the same things but from a very different context it was really it was really interesting to me
0: did you go straight from undergrad to seminary
1: i didn't so i took uh like a gap two years so i graduated and then two years later went to seminary uh, and during that time i taught for a year at a dual language charter school so i taught fifth grade language arts and social studies and second grade science and and then i spent a year processing payroll for independent contractors where i found very valuable skills uh, for the priesthood in in terms of like customer relations um, you know you're dealing with people's money man they uh yeah, that's real you know, that's, that's real, that's real life right there and helping people sort of navigate things like that. And it made me really excited to go to seminary. And And during that time, so I was living in, in Arizona after I graduated from college, I, I moved back home for, for two years and, and actually was, was a postulant in that time. Uh, so I was cleared to go to seminary, you know, having, for those of you who are familiar with the, with the, process to become a priest. It is long and lots of paperwork and checking of the boxes and things like that. And very important boxes to check, but it's, it takes a long time and it can take a year from, from saying, gee, I think I might be called to this, to actually going off to seminary or something like that. And was actually cleared to go to seminary beginning in 2008 but had decided that I was going to defer for one more year. And so I started seminary in 2009. Little fun fact. So in 2008, I went to Church Divinity School of the Pacific for their prospective Student Weekend. And I ran into Tim and Kirsten Bayer, uh, yeah. who were also there as prospective students. And they had told me, you should really go look at at VTS, Virginia Theological Seminary, that, you know, that it was just really great. And I had no desire or intention to go to VTS, which is really funny. You know, Arizona is, is neither East Coast nor West Coast. It is no coast because it is landlocked. (laughs) Uh, But, you know, growing up, you're just sort of West Coast kind of person here. And then going up for my undergraduate to Portland, you know, in my head, I was like, CDSP, that's it. I stick into the West Coast. We're that's where it's at. And I'm really glad that they told me to look at BTS, because that was 100% where I was called uh, to be formed as a priest. And so they ended up at BTS as well. But of course, I deferred a year. So even though we could have gone to seminary together, uh, sort of in the same class, I was a class behind them, but very grateful. And of course, you know, when I showed up, they were like, hey, and I was like, hey, (laughs) so that's how I ended up at BTS, Tim and Kirsten
0: Bayer. That's great. And God. Sure, sure. Can you go back and talk about how your mom influenced your call to ministry? Absolutely.
1: So my junior, let's see. Well, I'm going to go back even further. So about when I was a freshman in high school, both my priest, who was the first woman priest that I'd ever met, um, we, had, we had my freshman year of high school, we had my church had called a new new rector. And she uh, very early on had had indicated to me that she thought that I might be called to the priesthood. And at the same time, my mom was saying the same thing, like, gosh, you should really think about this. And I was 14 and I don't know, not interested in other things one could say. And what I was going to sort of be when I grew up wasn't Something that was occupying a lot of my time or energy. So it was sort of was easy to blow off. Oh, okay, whatever, whatever. And, um, but so from, you know, early on in high school, had always that had seed had been planted for sure. And went off to college and, you know, was always really active in my church. And church was always a really big part of my life. And even when I went off to college, you know, we didn't have an Episcopal campus ministry really at Lewis and Clark. So I just found like the closest Episcopal church and just showed up and was like, hey, I want to get on your lecture schedule. And, you know, all of the things that uh, a nerdy Episcopalian freshman in in college is going to do and was just sort of bebopping along and, you know enjoying life and being in college and when i was a junior in college uh, my mom was diagnosed with cancer and so it's stage 4 gallbladder cancer and and gallbladder cancer is one of those where by the time honestly it gets detected it's it's really too late and so i uh, spent the summer between my junior and senior year home with my mom and she was doing, you know, chemo and radiation and all of that. And it was both a really beautiful time for us as a family. And then also just a really miserable, awful time for us as a family. And, and it was time for my senior year to start. And both my parents are teachers and value education very highly. And so there was just like, go back to school, go back to school, push from both my parents. And And in my head, I was like, I'll go back to school, but, and we hadn't talked about hospice or anything like that. But, you know, if things weren't going to go well with my mom's treatment, I knew that I was going to come home and, and be home with her. And so I, you know, drove my little car up to, from Phoenix up to Portland and I got settled in and I had you know, second day of classes. And my parents called and said, yeah, mom's going to go in hospice. And I said, all right, I'm coming back home and was really lucky. My advisor was, um, one of my religious studies professors was a Lutheran pastor. And I went into his office and said, Hey, this is what's going on. He said, bye, we'll take care of everything. Get out of here. And I went home and spent uh, the fall semester of my senior year at home with my mom and journeyed with her, uh, to her death. And it was, it was really sort of, I mean, it was just a, it was a weird time because we knew that it was very quickly expiring, you know, that it was going to come to an end, and I'll say that when it came time for our priest to come and pray prayers at the time of death with my mom, what, what other traditions would call last rites, um, at that point, my mom hadn't been responsive for for a couple of weeks. So she was, her breathing was really labored, her face was very tight and scrunched, and you could just tell that she was ready to be released. And when our priest came and prayed with her, her breathing just it smoothed and her face relaxed and so clearly in that moment i heard god say to me that is what i want you to go do i want you to go give peace that peace to people why do you keep saying no to me because by that point i would sort of figured out you know by my junior year of, of, of college had sort of figured out yeah probably i'm supposed to go be a priest but I think I need to like go get a real job first. Uh, every priest that I'd met was a second career priest. So I just thought that's what you had to go do. And, and so I was, you know, but in that moment had felt so so clearly and strongly like, nope. And so it was it was really special because I got to tell my mom before she died, like, you were right. <laughs> you were right. I'm gonna go be a priest. And, you know, probably it was a few days after that, surrounded by my dad and me and my two other sisters that my mom died and she really did know that piece, that, you know, that piece that passes all understanding. And I went and and finished up my degree and began the process to become a postulant, or well, I guess an aspirant and then a postulant and then a candidate or seminarian, then a candidate. And can we come up with enough names to call people?
0: Who right. Are just <laughs> so um,
1: but yeah, so it's interesting because, you know, we talk about call in a couple of different ways, sort of these external calls, right? Someone says, I really, I see this in your life. And then these sort of internal calls where you can have these more, maybe like an emotional, personal sort of sense of call. And, you know, I call that that moment where my priest came and prayed with my mom, sort of a Jesus two by four to the head. Um, and I, I guess I needed that. You know, some people maybe <laughs> don't need that. But the the hard part, of course, was that and and, and you know this, you know, when you go in front of your commission on ministry and you, people say, tell me your call story. How did you become a priest for the first, maybe like five years of explaining my call to the priesthood was just me crying in front of, you know, groups of strangers. (laughs) 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 And I'm like, that just doesn't feel very fair. Um, But it is what it is. You know, our stories are our story and, you know, we don't get a lot of control over over much of our stories. Yeah. Um or much of our story we don't get a lot of control over that. So,
0: yeah.
1: you know, I can get through it now without crying uh, yeah. most of the time. So, but yeah, so that, you know, I wrapped up my degree, I uh and, and a piece of my deferring going to seminary was that uh my grandmother, I come from a very strong matriarchal family and and my grandmother was was dying and i had was sort of getting ready to like go off to seminary and i was like you know i've done the whole someone i love and i'm very close to is dying and and i don't have to do it that way again like i can just take a year and be home with my grandmother and spend that time and you know not have to jam everything in all at once and so it was absolutely the right decision i feel so good about it and and so going off to seminary to virginia was was just a trip you know cuz east coast is different than the west coast i'll tell you that much oh, yeah um, yeah it's different it was good i mean it was really good and i've made lifelong friends in seminary i was formed you know sort of like that beginning piece of my formation as a priest was there but it's been nice to sort of, you know, inch my way. I, I'm 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 liking being right here in the middle, you know, between East Coast and West Coast.
0: <laughs> yeah, you can bring all those experiences together and deal with the beautiful and amazingly unique Oklahomans because we're our own characters out here. Oh
1: yeah, it's been fun. So you know so after seminary which is you know that's where i met my husband so that's 12 years ago you know we moved to houston texas and we were there for 4 years and then we were in st petersburg florida we were there for a little over 4 years and and now we're we're in oklahoma and it's it's been really fun cuz you know arizona has a lot of this like wild wild west frontier you know type of mentality and then you sort of like get this like Texas mentality, which is just fascinating. And then everyone knows about like the Florida man. And there's this, there's something about sort of Arizona, Texas, Florida. I don't know if it's the heat or something, but it, it brings things out of people that are very interesting. So you get these really fascinating sort of eccentric cultures and having moved to to oklahoma now i'm finding that there is this like gentleness here in the people that i've met and a kindness here and i'm i'm curious if that's like you know sort of like you know you know you sort of get this like midwesterner but still a lot of this like kind of like southern kindness you know whatever it's been it's been really neat to get to to know people and experience sort of the the Oklahoma personality and temperament. Right. Uh, it's been a good experience so far.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's what I, the next question I was going to ask is how how your how you and your family are settling in to the Okie way of life and learning all of our cultural, you know, idiosyncrasies and everything.
1: You know. I mean, obviously, you know.
0: We moved here in the middle of of
1: a pandemic, so our our exposure has been actually really limited because, uh, you know, we're keeping things real safe and and close to home, so that way, you know, when I come here to St. Paul's, that I'm not, you know, exposing my people here to all of the germs and things like that. So, what I, I'll say that what we have experienced has been wonderful, and there've been like real perks to, to having to keep things real close to home. Like all of our boxes are unpacked. So, you know, <laughs> uh, that's good. Um, I've been able to really dive in deep here at St. Paul's, which has been wonderful. Um, but you know, it's, it's also been hard trying to, like, it'll be interesting. I think maybe not hard. I think interesting is the word I want to, like we will have probably been here for over a year before we really get to experience what life is like here under normal, normal normalish. We're on a podcast. Right. You can't see my air quotes, yeah. uh, normal-ish uh, circumstances. Right. So, you know, like to go, you know, we've gone to a few different places and checked out a few different things, but, you know, life, life here for everyone is you know, out of the ordinary right now. So I don't, I don't know. I mean, we're settling in good. We're, we're happy, happy, happy. Like the kids are thriving. Uh, we've started doing church school on Zoom here at St. Paul's and my kids are so excited that there are kids that go to their church, like that they're going to have friends. <laughs> they were very concerned when we were moving here that there were, would be no friends in Oklahoma. No, like, friend. no friends, just Oklahoma has no friends. And I was like, it's just not- <laughs> So they've been they've been really excited to see that there are in fact friends here, um, and so I am really looking forward to that piece of like really getting to experience our home because it does feel like home. I'll say that much. It does it feels like home, but it's also very strange because like I've been to a grocery store twice since we've moved here, because we do a lot of just grocery delivery type stuff. Um, and so I went to a Trader Joe's and Trader Joe's is, is Trader Joe's kind of like no matter where you go. But I went into a, a, a Crest and I don't know if this is like just particular to Crest or whatever, but I've noticed that people in Oklahoma, like they zip around in 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 grocery stores in a way that maybe it was just the day or whatever, but I was like, oh, this is fascinating, just really fascinating. So I'm like, there are things that I'm going to have to learn still, like how how to navigate a grocery store. Uh, <laughs> also, Oklahoma doesn't have a single grocery store, with the exception of Trader Joe's. Uh, really, you know that like all of the places that I've lived, there's never been a Crest or was it up up uptown?
0: Yeah, uptown. That, uh-huh. Uptown.
1: No. So they don't, I've never been in a place that's had those. It was, it's been interesting to be like, I don't know any of these grocery stores.
0: I'll tell you what though, the crest has got an exceptional meat counter. Okay. Have you seen that thing? That's one of my favorite things like coming home from college from South Bend was to come go to the grocery store with my mom and like pick out the steaks for dinner.
1: So is that like your store of choice is crest?
0: I do like, I do like crest, but I also like sprouts.
1: So sprouts I've, I've been to, there are sprouts at, you know, yeah. other places, but yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I bet that's where I go for the
0: produce. Yeah, for sure. Um, quickly, I wanted to talk a little bit about your just overall ministry and what you're looking forward to in Oklahoma city at St. Paul's and, um, and maybe a little bit about about pop-up prayer. I think that's kind of what you're well-known in, in the Episcopal Church, you know, writ large is for your pop-up prayer online on Facebook. So yeah, is that is that something you're going to continue to do as you do ministry? I mean, it's really great for COVID tide, right? Like folks, and I appreciate it getting on there and just at the end of the day, you know, I don't know, it's it's soothing to me and it's like, I don't know, just a way to like wrap up the day in like a thoughtful way that makes me focus on something positive, you know, cause I think there's been, you know, the world's crazy right now and to kind of center yourself and what God's doing in our lives is such a healthier place than scrolling social media.
1: <laughs> so I started pop-up prayer in 2017. So... And it's interesting because I sort of thought about whether, you know, sort of like what we should be doing with all of our ministries, right, is continually being reflective about them. Are they still, you know, is this still valuable to people? Is it still valuable to me? Is it life giving? Is it serving a purpose? All of those things. So, you know, I don't think I could say like, yeah, I'm going to do that forever. I mean, let's be honest. I don't think Facebook's going to be around forever. So Maybe pop-up prayer will die when Facebook dies. I don't know. Maybe it'll transition to whatever the next new thing is. Um, I don't know. But I'll say that I'm doing it right now. I don't see it going away anytime soon. It's, It's a kind of a community unto itself. And so I feel a responsibility to sort of that congregation, whoever it is who pops up every single night. Right. So it's what this really amorphous group of, of, well, I can't even call it a group of people because every single night it's different people who are on and it's just whoever catches it when they catch it. But, you know, for me, I really like the idea of creating intentional sacred space in, in, in a place like Facebook, which I think is if not intentionally, at least unintentionally, not a sacred space. <laughs> and so, you know, it started from a really sort of specific place, but then has has shifted into, into what it is now, which is just daily prayer of, of any type. You know, I'll be the first to say some are better than others. And that's okay, uh, because the only thing that is, is guaranteed with pop-up prayer is that we will pray and and that's it. So for me, I think pop-up prayer is is a it's a piece of my ministry here at St. Paul's because it's a piece of my ministry as as a priest. Uh so Maybe it'll, maybe it'll stick around forever. Maybe it won't. I think at some point, you know, I think, I think probably every ministry has a shelf life. So I'm, I'm assuming that pop-up prayer is going to have a shelf life too, but for now it's great. And it's a really neat way to engage with people and to meet people where they're at. The majority of people who watch pop-up prayer, they're either like really Episcopalian And they like heard about pop-up prayer from maybe the way of love podcast that I did with, you know, with Bishop Curry or, or something like that, or Facebook algorithms, magic happens. And the other sort of like big chunk of people who engage with pop-up prayer are people who, who don't go to church at all. And in fact, a lot of those people who don't go to church at all are also deeply wounded by the church. They've been really hurt by the church. And so I find pop-up prayer to be a space where we value authenticity and vulnerability and, you know, just, and prayer. And so the number of conversations that I've had with people who will say things like, for example, there's, there's one woman who she has been sort of a regular engager with pop-up prayer from almost the very beginning. And, and she and I have sent, you know, messages back and forth and she'll chime in on things. And I remember after maybe the two and a half years, she sent me a message and she said, so, so one of the things I say every single night on pop-up prayer is, is you were loved by God, no exceptions, right? Like, like you're just no exceptions you're just loved by god and um and that was really hard for her to get she'd never heard from anyone in her life that she was lovable she'd never heard that message from her parents she'd never heard that message from other people in her life and she was just and i remember early on she would engage with me she was very angry you know like this is a lie you know i know for a fact that god doesn't love me um i know for a fact that you know i'm not good enough that I'm not all of the things that there's no way that God could love me. And I remember after two and a half years, she sent me a message and she said, I have to tell you when you ended pop up prayer tonight and you said that God loves me, no exceptions. I believed it for the first time. Wow! I was like, oh, like mind blown. Um, And so, you know, it's not pop up prayer. Isn't meant to be something that like makes people go to church or you know makes people come to St. Paul's or you know or anything though certainly I love getting people connected to church and I would love for everyone to come to St. Paul's but it's a way for people to feel connected to God and to feel loved by God and I think that's a really fantastic thing and I really you know, sometimes it's hard, it's late. Sometimes you'll see me on pop-up prayer and you're like, Oh, she's had a long day. (laughs) Um, but it's really important to me. You know, I think, gosh, if that's, if that gets to be like my one sermon, you know, they'll say that like preachers have just a few, you know, a a small handful of, of sermons that they just preach over and over and over again. And if one of the ones that I preach just over and over again is that God loves you, no exceptions, like I'll take that. That feels like heck yeah. Like a real win to me. Um so you know, I really like, I really like pop-up prayer, even though they're like really there are some flops. You go and you look, there are I can think of three that are like epically terrible, <laughs> just really bad. There's one where Where both Addison and Crawford, my two older children, just, I don't know what got into them, but they were on there and they were, I mean, every bad choice that one could have made on a live video. And you can just watch me on this video being like, be cool. You're clearly on a, like on a live video right now, like be calm, stay calm. Like you could, but you could see it all over my face that clearly I was just like about to totally lose it. Um, there was one where my dog decided that he was going to like do his business on the carpet, like right in the background while I'm praying. <laughs> and, and it was, I mean, so, so it's very funny. So pop up prayer. If you look at your keyboard, um, and you're thinking about how you type it in, I will occasionally make a typo on the word pop. And instead of doing P O P we'll do P O O and have sometimes called it poo up prayer. And so the number of people who were like, it really was poo up prayer tonight, <laughs> um, you know, so there really are some epic failures on there, but I mean, that's life, right? Like not, I was gonna say, nothing is perfect ever, um, but not everything goes the way that you want it to.
0: <laughs> that's what I was gonna say. I appreciate about it is because it is real life and people see you in all the ways in which you're a human being, you know? Some days without makeup. Some days with all your kids in tow. Some days with your dog just licking your face. That's probably my favorite because I love dogs. <laughs> but I just appreciate you being authentic and real, and I think that's what, how folks can connect. I think the most is you're just vulnerable. You know, you're not afraid to be all of yourself. And usually, you know, you are extremely polished and well dressed, and you got your badass haircut that no one can pull off but you. And maybe like, you know, Betty Who or Pink, Megan Rapinoe, man. Gonna, oh yeah, Megan Rapinoe.
1: True. I don't know if I can pull off the purple like her though.
0: Yeah, yeah, but serious swag is your usual, you know, status quo. So that's, but again, to see you, you know, just being all the ways is, I think, is very relatable and it gives me peace and comfort, like I said. I just I, I appreciate the pop-up prayer. So thank you.
1: Well it's interesting because so I'm a, a certified facilitator of Brene Brown's work. And one of the exercises that that you get to do with that um, that is has been really helpful for me is to really identifying sort of your core values. You know, sort of what are the things that really drive you and lead you the most. And for me, authenticity and integrity are are my primary leading values. And so the the worst thing that I could ever do is is be fake. That would feel just really, really, really awful to me. Now, I've had moments, obviously, where I've like done that, right? We all have times in our lives where we step away from our values, where we behave in ways or say things that we're like, gosh, that really isn't in alignment with who I am. But that's one of the gifts that pop-up prayer brings to me is that, you know, when you're on a live video and life is happening and all of that, like, there's not, there's not a lot of space in there to, to be fake. And, and truth be told that I think when we want a real relationship with God, and when we want real relationships with other people, then we have to be our, our, our real selves as hard as that can be sometimes. Cause we're not perfect. Sometimes our, our authentic selves are, are also not awesome all of the time.
0: <laughs> right. Right.
1: Well, let me tell you a little bit about what I, what I'm looking, looking forward to here at St. Paul's that yeah, you did ask. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So In August of 2019, yes, I have that right. So August of 2019, then Canon to the Ordinary, Michael Durning, uh, sent me an email and said, hey, the uh, the cathedral here in Oklahoma City is going to be looking for a new dean. I really think you'd be fantastic here, and I, I really think you should consider it. So I have, I have three kids. I have my daughter Addison, who's eight, my son Crawford, who's six. And then our daughter Collins, who's she's 19 months now. But at that time, August of 2019, she was not even three months old. I was still on maternity leave when, when Michael Durning emailed me and I was like, yeah, right. Like you're crazy. And you know, I'm like, I just had a baby, like if anyone's ever been to St. Petersburg, Florida, like it's a really, it's a fantastic city. You know, I loved the church that I was at there. I was like, I'm really happy, you know, no way. And I was like getting ready to like fire him off this email that was just like, eh, no, thanks, whatever. Hope you're well, you know, give Bonnie Jean a hug for me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but uh, because of course, he used to be the canon to the ordinary in the Diocese of Southwest Florida, which is where St. Petersburg is located but I, I couldn't do it. You know, I was just sort of like, Oh, you know, I'll circle back to it. I'll, I'll, I'll get to it. I'll get to it. Talk to my husband about it. And, you know, and he was sort of kind of like on the same page, like, Oh, like, I mean, that's so that's really nice that he thought of you, but timing. And still I just couldn't do it. So finally I emailed him back and I was like, I don't know, tell me more about it. I guess you can send me something when they have their profile done, you know, I'll, I'll pray about it, you know, and, and that's how sort of it was for, for uh, just about a year of, of being in the process with St. Paul's. And, um, and I have to say that, like, when I got there, when I got the profile for the cathedral and what they were looking for and, and how they saw themselves and where they wanted to, to go, I was really energized, really energized. I think that St. Paul's has so many gifts to offer uh, people who choose to worship here, as well as the community at large in which it's uh, located. And so I was just really intrigued, and so the entire time I was just sort of, I'll just say yes to the next thing. Just say yes to the next thing. Yeah, I'll I'll have an interview. Sure, I'll fill out some interview questions. You know, yeah, sure, I'll do the next thing and. And, but really, and, and I mean this honestly, and truly never once did I actually think that I was going to end up here because I, well, I, you know, I don't really know why I thought that I just, I just didn't, I just thought, oh, this is just, it's just, it's good for all of us. We're just engaging in the process. And, and at some point it's just. I'll stop doing that and I'll go back to doing this work at the cathedral that I'm already at. And um, and it really wasn't until St. Paul's called me as a, as a finalist and said, you know, you're one of our finalists and we'd like you to actually come here and, and interview that I was like, oh, I should probably really think about like if I want to go move to Oklahoma City and, and, and really, really go do this. And, um, you know, and I had fallen in love with, with St. Paul's and that's really easy to do. Right. So you meet with the search committee people, you're meeting with members of the vestry and they're so easy to love. So I was like, people are great. You know, uh, my husband and I, we did a, like a secret shopper trip when, uh, before we came out to interview to sort of make sure everyone had told us that Oklahoma city was like a cool city. And I said, okay, like I live in a cool city. So is Oklahoma city really a cool city or is it like just cool for Oklahoma? Right. right. And we came out oh, Oklahoma City really is like a cool city. It really is. Mm -hmm. There's wonderful things happening here. That was pre-pandemic. We came out January. So it was pre-pandemic. We got to see it on a cold, rainy day. You know, it was really neat. But at that point, it wasn't until I came and I interviewed here in June of 2020 that I got to go into the actual cathedral. And you know, it was sort of uh Canon Susan gave me a tour and we were looking around and I had asked to spend some, just some time alone in there. And when I went and I put my hands on, on the font, I felt my heart, like my, like right here, also on a podcast, you can't see that I'm touching where my heart is. It like physically got very hot in my body. And I had, again, one of those moments of really clearly hearing God say to me, I want you to baptize people in my name at this font. And it was at that point that I was like, this is where I'm supposed to be. There is, there is ministry for me with these people right here. And And it's just a really exciting time, even in the midst of a pandemic, it's a really exciting time to be at the cathedral where, you know, we've moved into the 21st century with live streaming. (laughs) Our, you know, outreach into the community is growing stronger and stronger every day. We're building relationships with neighboring organizations and building these partnerships with, you know, the Homeless Alliance in OKC with Palomar Family Justice Center. You know, we've got really stellar formation happening. I'm really excited that the St. John's Bible is coming to both St. Paul's and All Souls through for the seasons of Lent and, and Easter, which is really cool. So there are these really big hand calligraphied, uh, hand illustrated, illuminated Bibles. So those are going to be coming soon. I mean, it's just, there is, it's not just that there's potential at St. Paul's, though there's an infinite supply of potential at St. Paul's, but there's already real excitement and opportunity for us to engage deeper with God, to engage deeper with each other, and to engage deeper with our neighbors. It's just, it's really fantastic. And I am most looking forward to getting to know people (laughs) because that's been the big, that's been the big thing, right? Because we're in a pandemic is just, it's hard to get to know people, Um, but it won't always be like this. And one of the things that I really appreciate about St. Paul's is its history and its history of rising to the occasion when chaos enters into its life. And St. Paul's has a history of resiliency and I'm really excited and feel honestly very blessed to be in a community in which resiliency is so interwoven into its DNA.
0: Yeah. Well. I think the entire diocese is pumped up for you to be at the cathedral during this time, and it needs a strong leader that um, is always authentic and just brings new energy, new hype, new life, new ideas. I think the cathedral is so ripe for that, and y'all are going to do some awesome things. I can't wait to see, and I already love just the relationship. I think the cathedral's building with the diocese and just working together with the bishop and you know I just I've just that's like a healing thing for everyone um just that we can all you know be on we're all teammates in the Episcopal church and just as community members in OKC working with Palomar like you said and all these other entities I think it's just such a cool thing and I'm excited for the future for you guys and I'm so excited that you're there joining us, y'all. Be sure to sign up for the Diocesan newsletter at our website, epiok.org newsletter. And follow us on all of our social media platforms to stay up to date on what's going on in the Episcopal Diocese of Oklahoma. See y'all next week, and peace be with you.